Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA as we dig into the Word of God.
The text today is Revelation 2. So if you'd like to turn there. Okay, this will look familiar to those of you that have been listening recently because roughly seven weeks ago, Jim preached on the church in Ephesus, which is the start of Revelation 2. He preached in great depth, took time to tell us about the history of Ephesus and the details of it. Then he preached the seven verses here, verses one through seven, on what uh, Jesus has to say about the church at Ephesus, and spent a whole hour in depth on the preaching. As he was doing that, I was focused on one small section, and when he called me last night, that was the section I wanted to go to, but given that Jim spent an hour on this, and I'm only going to do a small section, we may be under an hour today. But I'm going to look at it in a little different way, because that's what the Spirit moved me as he was teaching up here, and I thought, let's let's look at it this way. So to start with, let's read the first four verses. Reading verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's the text for this morning, and what I want to focus on is abandoning the love you had at first. The text clearly refers to a church as a body, as opposed to an individual. But when I saw that, I was thinking that certainly applies to an individual also. After all, individuals make up the church, and if you find the individuals in your church abandoning the first love, the whole church will follow in in suit. So the focus, as is in the text here, on the church as a whole, the focus is on the leadership. And it says some nice things about it, especially in verse 3, when God says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. Well, that's a nice thing to hear. And you have not grown weary. That tells us that the problem that's about to come up has nothing to do with fatigue or boredom because he says you haven't grown weary. That's not the issue. 
And then here comes the rebuke in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This describes an abandonment of focus on the relationship with God, what brought you to God in the first place, and in the first place when you were filled with joy that you began to understand what Jesus did for you, why he did it for you, and that he didn't have to do it for you, but he saved you anyway. He came to you in your sins when you could not come to him, and he did it for you. And when you got a first good whiff of that, that your salvation was in Jesus Christ and what he did and not what you do, that led me to a big spark. There's my first love, what Christ did for me. The loss of focus in, in a relationship, in this case we're talking about a relationship with God, but most of us are far more familiar with it and have seen it many more times in the secular world with secular love where a relationship between a husband and a wife becomes troubled and in many cases ultimately leads to divorce. So we're quite familiar with a relationship going bad. It goes bad normally just a little bit at a time, although it is possible to have one giant jolt to set the the destruction on its way. But nonetheless, we are familiar with the secular love and the relationship crumbling. And with that, I'd like to lead to the second law of thermodynamics. Nice segue, huh? (laughs) The second law reads approximately the quality, that's quality, not quantity, but the quality of matter or energy deteriorates gradually over time. Now, the easy example to point out is is matter deteriorating, and the example that has been used a time or two before here is that of a wooden deck. When you make that nice new wooden deck out in the back of your house, and you put your barbecue up on top of it, and it's all brand new, it looks great. But the nature of life is the second law of thermodynamics. Matter deteriorates gradually, and that deck looks wonderful the first year or two, or three, and then it starts dropping off. And at the end of 10 years, it's time for a new deck. The second law has had its way and the matter has deteriorated to where the deck is a mess. That deck has a relationship with the world around it. And in order to be put back together, in order to be held together, that wooden deck requires energy to be added to the deck. That energy is usually in in the case of a person who puts energy into the deck by going to repair and maintenance on it and keeping it up. Better to do a little maintenance each year than to a giant giant repair and, and rebuild the deck in 10 years. That's energy when the person puts his effort into the deck. There's energy when chemicals are needed. Chemicals itself are a form of energy. And then of course there's the energy needed to make tools to be able to apply the energy. But in all three cases, energy has to be put onto the deck to keep it up, to keep it in the condition that it was in when it was new. So energy has to be added to the deck. In a general sense, it would be read in the physics book, energy has to be added to the system to maintain the quality of matter. 
Now back to my secular relationship issue. The husband and the wife whose relationship is slowly deteriorating like the wooden deck. Sometimes it's so slow you don't realize it. It requires energy to succeed just like the deck requires energy. The relationship has to come from the husband and the wife so that they talk to each other, keep in good contact, realize each other's needs, realize each other's concerns and troubles, and the two must work on issues, put energy and time into their relationship to make it work. The two must define what problems or issues they may be facing and then begin solutions. And the couple works together, and if they put energy into the system, there's almost always a way to correct things and take a damaged relationship or a relationship that's going downhill and put them back together. This is a change in course, and this is exactly what repentance is. Repentance is from going this way, turning, and I'm going to go that way. And that's what happens in a relationship that's getting put back together as you address issues and make the necessary changes and repentance. This requires effort and energy. An example of this that Pastor told me many years ago with Elder Ward in Lexington, he was at a uh, service with Elder Ward, and after it was over, he wanted to go in the back and visit with him. Well, a lot of people beat him to it. A lot of teenagers, boys and girls, lined up down the hall to be able to spend a minute or two with their pastor on a Sunday after service instead of running out the door and going to wherever teenagers go nowadays. <laughs> so they're all lined up, and my pastor is amazed at what he's seeing. Teenagers have better things to do than to wait in line. But my pastor waited, and finally the line emptied. And he goes into Elder Ward. He says, that was amazing. All those kids are out there waiting to spend a minute or two with their pastor. I've never seen anything like that. And Elder Ward said, you don't think that happens by accident, do you? Elder Ward was putting energy into the system, taking time to spend with the teenagers. You know, it makes all the difference in the world. He had the line of kids lining up to see him. But how often do you see that in churches where you might see 50 teenagers lined up to meet with their pastor after a service? Pretty rare. But energy was put into the system to make it work. As far as my personal life, since I, I talked about secular stuff there, if we address this as an individual, I'll just kind of start with me because that's who I know best. Uh, by the age of 30, I had spent almost zero time in church. A little bit, learned nothing. Something about a guy named Noah and everything got wet, but not much more than that. That's what I had for the first 30 years. I got to be a ringer on a basketball team if I would come to Bible study twice a month and help their basketball team win. Good for my ego, real good for my ego. Take a losing team and we win. All I had to do was go sit at a Bible study. Got nothing out of it. I was wide open to whatever the preacher would say. And later on, I started working in TV evangelism. And again, I was wide open to whatever the preacher was saying whether it was right or not. And I found myself right in the middle of legalism. I knew nothing else. It's the only place I've been, the only place I was taught. 
I come to Tennessee, and I come into my first contact with being saved by God's grace alone. That was unique. It was the first time I was seeing it. I was told it was Calvinism. But I, I'm not an expert on Calvinism, but I know enough about Calvin that there's some things that I don't agree with. So I'm reluctant to come stand up here and say that I'm a Calvinist. But when it comes to your salvation through the grace of God that Calvin preached, yeah, I'm there now. I'm there now because I see it in Scripture, and for 20 years I've been taught it. That leads me to the age of 49, 20 years ago, and I ran into a friend that way where there used to be a store that rented videos. Yes, there used to be stores around that would rent <laughs> videos. You didn't have Netflix. And I saw her, and I hadn't seen her in quite a while. And she mentioned to me that Jim had bought this building here and that he was holding services down here and that the first service had been this past Sunday. I said, well, that's wonderful. I know where I'm going to be next Sunday. So the second week, I came in the back door, sat down, I liked it very much. The third week I came in, Jim handed me an acoustic guitar, and that's where I've been ever since. And I've been here hearing the Word of God, hearing it preached well by a preacher that God has worked in in wonderful, wonderful ways. And I've learned that Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. And when I first heard Salvation by God's grace, and Jesus did it all, and I didn't have to do anything. That he did it for me out of his grace and out of his mercy, and I didn't have to worry about the wrath of God. Because that is the concern of the sinner, not dying. The concern is the wrath of God. You don't want any of that. And when I found that Jesus was saving me by his grace alone, there's my first love 20 years ago. I can't imagine waking up on a Sunday morning and not wanting to come here. This is where I, I had my first love. This is where I heard what Jesus did for me and, for, and what his love is for me. During my life, I've also had a brain surgery 13 years ago, 2008. I had a massive subdural hematoma that was said by the doctors to be non-traumatic. In essence, nothing caused it. And yet they did the MRI and found out that my entire brain stem had been pushed to the side. I forget what it was. It was like a quarter of an inch. Danger, ugly stuff. And the doctor saw that and he says, how did you get here? I said, I drove. He thought that was impossible given the scan that he was looking at. But he says, tomorrow morning, first thing, I'm pushing everybody else aside that's scheduled for surgery. And at 5.30 in the morning, you're going in once I can get that aspirin out of your system that you've been pumping for months to try to reduce the headache. And he operated on me, and I've got this big divot in my skull, runs all the way down here. I was a big, uh, big deal, big hit in the neighborhood on Halloween when I had 55 staples, big gold staples, holding my skull together as I was delivering candy at the door for Halloween. And the doctor, with the help of God and getting me to the right doctor, saved my life. Amen. 
And when your life is saved by somebody, it's real easy to say thank you. I had no trouble saying thank you to that doctor. I had no trouble saying thank you to God for leading me to where I needed to be led to save me. The doctor told me my chances of getting off the table alive was one in three. He didn't tell me that before the operation. He told me that a month or two later when he felt secure that I was going to survive. But that's how close I came to death. Two and three, I wasn't going to make it off the table. So it was easy to thank Jesus after going through that. And each of us has traveled different paths to get to where we are today. None of you has traveled my path, and I haven't traveled yours. But for a few minutes today, I'd like you to consider the path that you have taken and what has brought you to your first love. Let's start first. uh, Let's go to Exodus. Not that you don't know it's there, but just for the sake of reading it. Exodus 20. I'm simply going to do the first two commandments because they definitely have a lot to do with what is being preached here today. Chapter 20, verse 1 reads, And God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then comes commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. When he tells us that we have abandoned the love we had at first, and then we read that he is a jealous God, this is a God that's serious. He doesn't want anything put before him. He wants the effort that we have done and the jolt that we had when we realized the saving grace of Jesus Christ to be always with us first and foremost. And a jealous God wants this, and a jealous God demands it. He says in, in Revelation, he says, you abandon. So he puts the blame square on individually, any one of us who might have abandoned or weakened the effort in any way. And when you abandoned it, your attention went elsewhere. Whatever else you put an attention on, maybe it went to a, let's say, a poor doctrine. Let's say it just went somebody else. You just decided to do something else and you went astray and and sin took you on your way. But in any case, you abandoned that first love. And it was your first love. You had it. It's not like you complete ignorance. You had that first love. You had that jolt of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And just as the second law of thermodynamics is, is just a fact of life, so is that a vacuum will be filled. And if you abandon your first love, that vacuum will be filled by something. And God help you what comes to you to fill it. It could get real ugly, and you might not even realize the road you're being taken down. God deserves better. 
and he demands better. He demands you to rebuke. He demands you to change your ways. When you have found that you've abandoned the love you had at first, he wants that love, and he deserves it. The commandment to worship no other God before me, that is a bold commandment. And abandoning the love you had at first is much more subtle, but it is a loss of zeal, a loss of enthusiasm, a loss of that great joy we had when finally we realized, I get it. I may have been listening to lots of other preachers in my life, and I, I didn't say I got it after listening to them. I've heard a lot of different things, and, and gee, you can see it on TV everywhere right now. But when you get that big jolt, and yet suddenly, I get it. I understand now. Thank you, God. Another example of that is for years and years, I used to read the book of Romans, and it might as well have been written in, in Swahili for all I knew. I wasn't making a lick of sense out of it. I can read when my eyes are open. And after years and years of scratching my head, I come here 20 years ago, and I hear the grace of God, and I can understand Romans. How do you explain that? How can you explain looking at a book for years and years, and, and you're getting nothing out of it, and then bang, there it is. Now you get it. My first love. I remember 20 years ago. It was a good time. It was life-changing. Of course I'm going to church on a Sunday morning. Where else would I go? But too many people go, but I'm tired. I feel, I feel like I've got the sniffles. Maybe that's a good excuse to not come. Often it's just a matter of a little fatigue. Some rest would do me more good than, than going to church. I think I'll just sleep in. Well, if tired is your issue, may I encourage you to take a nap after church and we'll see how fatigued you really are. See if after church you don't come up with something that you found energy to do, even if it's something as simple as going to a restaurant. But uh, my particular sin is I like watching NFL football. <laughs> so if I'm tired after church, I'm not taking a nap when I get home. I'm putting on the TV. So whatever it is that's bothering you that might try to pull you away from church, and fatigue is a common one, don't let it happen to you. You'll find something else to do after church. Wait then. Your nap will be waiting for you. We are all sinners, and the penalty for sin is death. Someone's going to die. We saw it in Adam and Eve when skins were made to cover their nakedness because the plant leaves didn't get the job done. Something had to die to cover their sins. If you'll turn to Genesis 22, we will find some wonderful news. We are all sinners, and the penalty for sin is death. But God, in his grace and mercy, can provide a substitute. God can provide someone that will take the wrath that is due you, that will serve the death penalty that is due you, and we'll see a bit of it here in Genesis 22. Let's look at verse 1. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I, will, I shall send you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for a burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now Abraham had been told to sacrifice his son, and yet he tells the two men with him that I will come again with, back with you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both went of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear the God and seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it was said on this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The ram caught in a thicket. Thorns in his head, exactly like Christ wearing the crown of thorns. God had provided a substitute for the burnt offering of his son. Thank God he provided a substitute because instead of the wrath that we would be taking, the substitute that God provided for our sins it had to be a substitute so great that it could cover the sins of all those who needed their sins paid for, who were of the chosen, whose names were written in the book of life. A substitute that would have to be so great that it could cover it all in one effort. And there's only one substitute great for that, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And when it says the Lord will provide, amen, he will provide, he provided his Son. And God did this for us. Take this personally this morning. God did this for us. God provided a sacrifice. God kept me from the wrath of God. 
And in doing the work on the cross, Jesus Christ pay for my sins. We are all sinners, and God provided us with a Savior in Jesus Christ who saved us from the wrath of God. He gave us a substitute in Genesis 22 who took our place. Now, when you consider that your faith may be less than ideal because of distractions and maybe fatigue, maybe illness, there's lots of possible ways where you can be less than 100% and certainly wish you felt better. Certainly our pastor is in that condition today where his life happens in the next day or two or three, we'll see. I talked to him last night and he says, you know, I think I, I might be through the worst of it. I might be getting better. But just in case, maybe you should be ready. That was last night at about 6 o'clock. This morning at 7. Oh, Tom. Oh, gee. How are you doing, Jim? <laughs> so that was the word that, yes, indeed, I was on for today. But he is sick right now. Micah has COVID. He has been diagnosed with COVID. Jim is concerned that he might also have COVID. He doesn't know. Him and I, three weeks or so ago, were pretty sick for about two weeks, but we didn't have COVID. It, it came and gone. It was just a cold or whatever kind of cold it is. So he's coming off that to feeling better for a couple of weeks, and then he gets hit by this over the last couple of days, and he's feeling miserable right now. So consider this when you say your prayers. Help bring yourself back into line with your first love, with what brought you here, with what brings you to open the Bible and brings you to read about what Christ has done for you out of grace and mercy, nothing that you have earned, nothing that you have helped in accomplishing. accomplishing. He did it all. And those were great, great moments once I figured that out. And inside, I get it, I get it, hot dog, I finally understand. I spent years and years and years before those times praying to God at night, please help me to understand. That was the end of every prayer I did for years and years and years. Please teach me and help me to understand. And he brought me here. And he put me in front of a teacher and a pastor who could teach God's word. Where would I be if I never walked in that door? Talk about lost. I sure wouldn't be going to church. It, it took my friend Jim buying this building and, and having church that may become the second week. If that didn't happen, I don't know that I would have ever been drawn to church or drawn to God's word. Or, or more importantly, drawn to God's word accurately preached and taught. I could be believing some kind of garbage, and there's plenty of garbage out there for anybody to believe that wants to. It's downright entertaining. It's well lit. Lots of people laughing and clapping, and it's garbage. Tell me the truth. That's what we do here. We talk about not abandoning your first love. Well, we don't have that many extra bells and whistles here. We sing to God maybe four or five songs. He likes to be sung to. Heaven talks about us singing around the throne. 
So he likes to be sung to, singing praises from hymns. And then we teach his word. And to a large degree, that's pretty much it. It's hard to get lost. What we do is talk about Christ and his grace and what he has done for us and our first love. And it makes it easier not to get lost in distractions. If there's distractions for you, it's outside the door. It's not here inside the, the sanctuary. So I encourage everyone, even though the text here in Revelation addresses the church at Ephesus and it addresses a group of people as a group, it can very well be taken individually because we all suffer from distractions and fatigues. So keep it in mind. Remember your first love. If you can remember the time when when you had the I get it moment, the thank you God moment, I, I now see when your eyes were open, if you remember that time, take a lot of time thanking God for it and continue to ponder on it because God does not want you to abandon that love that you had at first. And always remember Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That's my message today. I hope it reached you in your heart. I hope the joy that I feel at, at my first love back 20 years ago gets in some of you too because my gosh what Christ did for us saving from God's wrath you're not being saved from slipping on the ice you're being saved from God's wrath and certain death and Jesus Christ saved you by paying it all what is our final song today 205 205, 205. 205. 205.